Hello, welcome to the IDEAS podcast. Inclusive, digital, educational, anti-discriminatory alternatives. You're listening to Module 5, Lessons from the Feminist Political Economy, Issues of Social Reproduction. Episode 3, Bring Hope in Hopeless Times. Greek myth tells us the story of the insidious god Prometheus. Against the will of the supreme god Zeus, Prometheus gave people something they desperately needed. He gave them fire. Deeply offended by this transgression, Zeus decided to punish mortals by ordering his son Hephaestus, a god of blacksmiths, to mold a beautiful woman, naming her Pandora. When Pandora came to life, Zeus sent her to mortals carrying gifts in a small jar. Not knowing what was in it, she opened the jar and from it the worst evils that humanity could imagine flew out. Hunger, disease, poverty, hatred, despair. Horrified, Pandora closed the jar in a haste, not knowing that on its bottom was left the last, most ambiguous gift of Zeus, hope. If we look more closely at the story of Pandora, as well as the Christian story of Eve, both myths made women responsible for all the evils and misfortunes of the world thus in a way justifying their historically subordinate social position. And while the hope can be symbolically seen as a kind of encouragement to humans, primarily men, to embark on the intellectual and ethical project of calming divine anger and escaping from a given horrible fate, the question remains whether women have historically had the right to follow the same path. In other words, do women have a right to a better future? Do they have a right to hope? And what does that hope mean to women today? Hi, my name is Anna Maskelen, and I'm a philosopher and scholar working at the Institute for Social Research in Zagreb, Croatia's capital. The central aspect of my philosophical work are the alternative worlds in the works of feminist authors or feminist utopias. My today's topic concerns humanity's biggest driving force, hope. I will tell you about ways in which hope found place in history of social change and in contemporary feminist thought. In the first part, I will talk about philosophy of hope contrasting Nietzsche's negative and Bloch's positive understanding of it. In the second part, I will place hope in the context of utopianism and of utopian thought, concluding with the power utopias had 
in transcending the reality and changing it for the better. I will refer to the feminist critique of classical utopianism that has often left women out of its reflections, depriving them of their own utopian worlds. In the third and final part, I will explain the reasons behind contemporary utopian crisis, a crisis which is grounded in a dominant understanding of the inadequacy of human nature to change the world for the better. I will also pay attention to feminists and feminist movement as, in my opinion, one of the last guardians of hope employed to deal with that crisis. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. Emily Dickinson, Hope is the Thing with Feathers. The myth of Pandora is not only a theological explanation of the existence of evil in the world, for which, as in the biblical story of Eve, a woman was deemed responsible, but also a story of the divine origin of hope. What remains unclear in the story, however, is whether Zeus left hope to humans to save them or to destroy them. But what is hope? Hope is an expectation that something that is desired will come true, and as such, it is usually a future-oriented expectation. As a key concept in most major world religions, Hope is a necessary prerequisite for reaching the afterlife and the future new world that follows the end of the present one. Hope for most people means the state of mind that keeps us alive, keeps us fighting, sometimes even against all odds. But not everyone thought positively of hope. German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, in his book Human All to Human, said that hope was the worst of Zeus's evils, that humankind still, in its infinite naivety, reaches for. The curse of hope was, in his opinion, that it prevents humans from giving up on life when exposed to terrible torments and misfortunes, and instead keeps them alive and suffering. Even worse, hope, especially the religious one, by lulling people into a dream of heavenly world, dissuades them from actively facing those same torments and misfortunes in the world they live in. One philosopher who did not share Nietzsche's opinion was another great German philosopher, Ernst Bloch. For Bloch, hope was not just a psychological attitude, but one of the essential human attributes making people capable of transcending the immediate reality and of directing towards what is not yet there. According to him, hope is crucial for the development of society because it implies an active relationship with the existing situation, but also it implies an active overcoming of that situation. 
this transcendence is achieved by turning to the future in which the contents of our hopes are realized. For Bloch, hope is at the core of daydreams, but not any dreams, since not every daydream is a space of hope. For Bloch, similar to Nietzsche, some daydreams are a mere dull and distracting escape from the reality, preventing us from facing ourselves or our problems. The true place of hope are those dreams that do not allow reconciliation with the existing. Bloch believed that such dreams do not come by themselves, since they imply careful study, sober look, and a lot of self-guidance. He called such hope an educated, utopian hope. So what does it mean for women to hope in a utopian way? A map of the world that does not include utopia is not worth even glancing at, for it leaves out the one country at which humanity is always landing. And when humanity lands there, it looks out and seeing a better country sets sail. Progress is the realization of utopias. Oscar Wilde, The Soul of Man Under Socialism. For Bloch, the notion of hope illuminates one principle in the world that philosophy has unjustly bypassed, the utopian principle. Utopias are artistic and political manifestations of hope. They are worlds of the future created by the use of human imagination. In addition to hope and imagination, utopias are necessarily built on a critique of the existing world. Because why build better worlds if this one is good enough? In contrast to the modern misunderstanding of utopias as pernicious attempts of naive enthusiasts to create wannabe perfect, perfect worlds in which houses are made of pudding, roasted chickens fall from the sky and sausages swim in the rivers. Utopias were always a far cry from that. As a thought-provoking visions, utopias inspire generations, even encouraging them to revolutions. From the earliest utopian writers like Thomas More, Francis Bacon, or Tommaso Campanella, through socialist thinkers like Charles Fourier, Henri de Saint-Simon and Etienne Cabet, all the way to the modern-day visionaries like Ernest Kallenbach, Rudger Bregman, or a brilliant feminist writer Ursula Le Guin. Utopias have always been a call to face harsh reality, but by no means an escape from it. That is why many felt the need to answer this call and to try to realize their preferred utopian blueprint. What many, especially feminist theorists, warn us about is that throughout history, utopias have been usually thought out by the last, least disenfranchised, who have therefore neither succeeded nor cared to 
articulate the injustices that have inflict, afflicted many, especially women. For most utopian authors, usually rich and privileged white men, women were already living their utopias and they did not need a new one. Utopian socialists were among the first to present a significantly different understanding of women's lives, finding in their comparison of the destinies of women and the working class similar hardships and similar tragedies. Unfortunately, their utopian ideas, as well as socialist states inspired by those ideas, proved unsuccessful in the struggle against both patriarchy and capitalism. Reasons behind that failure primarily laid in their inability to dig deep in the structures of reality, probably fearing that they would find there what they did not have the strength to change. Their revolutionary interventions into social reality fell short in the moment that they postponed dealing with women's issues indefinitely and reducing the evils of capitalism exclusively to the class question and the accompanying question of paid labor. In Croatia, feminist philosopher Blaženka Despot was among the first to notice how by turning a blind eye to the capitalist social reproduction hidden in the private family matters, and by refusing to systemically and systematically address women's oppression as a parallel to class oppression, socialism failed to achieve its main goals. Women began thinking and writing utopias very late in the utopian history, at a time when the utopian principle itself was coming under threat in the beginning of the 20th century. They were doing so amidst their struggle for the recognition of their rights, by which they were ever so slowly gaining their position in history. This is because being placed in time is necessary for utopian thought, since those who only live in the present do not have past, and cannot comprehend the future. Being reduced to the mere reproduction of life, the biological building of the body, and given the task of the renewal of the nation, women have historically been entrenched in the imminence as their only destiny, the only utopia they may aspire to. That is why Blaženka Despot call them the ahistorical birth givers, meaning unfree and silent, deny the right to their own body and their own choices, deprived of past and future, forced to realize the meaning of their life only through another human being. By revaluing re and reestablishing women's past and present, a new feminist hope was born then that from its beginning, from its very beginning, nurtured a strong utopian impulse. But was it already too late for utopia 
or for feminist utopia in particular. And then all that has divided us will merge. And then compassion will be wedded to power. And then softness will come to a world that is harsh and unkind. And then both men and women will be gentle. And then both women and men will be strong. And then no person will be subject to another's will. And then all will be rich and free and varied. And then the greed of some will give way to the needs of many. And then all will share equally in the earth's abundance. And then all will care for the sick and the weak and the old. And then all will nourish the young. And then all will cherish life's creatures. And then all will live in harmony with each other and the earth. And then everywhere will be called Eden once again. Judy Chicago, Merger Poem. Feminism has to be absolutely utopian and unrealistic, far removed from any semblance of the world we're living in now. We have to hope for and envision something before agitating for it, rather than blithely giving up, giving up and accepting the way things are. After all, utopian ideals are as ideological as the political foundations of the world we are currently living in. Above everything, feminism is a constant work in progress. We are all still learning. Reni Edo Lodge, why I'm no longer talking to white people about race. Contemporary crisis of utopian thought has many facets and the debates over it are often exhausted on calls for sobriety due to the frightening humanitarian and environmental crisis of modern times. We are reminded over and over again that the human evolution does not necessarily result in the evolution of human morality and that the drive towards death and destruction often outweighs the one towards life and love. These understandings are in close connection to the one that determines modern Western economic capitalist system as perfectly adapted to humans' essentially selfish and egotistic nature. That is why change or the complete abolition of the set system is condemned as an act necessarily leading to chaos and destruction. Although the idea of living in the best possible world to which there is no alternative has died out in recent decades, it has been replaced by an even worse one. We are taught that the world we live in is not the best. Moreover, it is quite an awful one, but any intervention will necessarily make it even worse. From the perspective of the least terrible world we allegedly live in, critique becomes obsolete, imagination naive, and hope dangerous. 
Confinement to immanence is now imposed as the fate of humanity that is incapable to come out of it in fear of its own future. Unfortunately, that same humanity fails to see that the future for those shielded by the solid frames of the present exists no more. This status quo, of course, once again, goes to the advantage of the privileged male, white, and wealthy. Their contempt for others is only further strengthened by the belief that these others, by their nature, are nothing but contemptible and that their own dishonorable actions are nothing more but the echo of a deeply dishonorable world. On a purely social level, the lack of utopian alternative does not really end in a status quo, but in a regression into the past through the raptures and deeply uncritical glorification of the unjust patterns of the long gone times. Hence, especially when it comes to women, the death of utopia means a retraditionalization followed by the loss of barely acquired rights, their body integrity, and their freedom, and the return to the status of ahistorical birth givers. To be an ahistorical birth giver means being at the core of the social reproduction while being its biggest victim. It means the permanent maintenance of deeply unjust social relations headed by a capitalist fraternity. That is why the struggle for utopia, for the revolutionary paths of overcoming reality, for women is a matter of survival. Women do not have the privilege to stand still. And not just women, nobody has the privilege to stand still. We should all aspire to live in a just and equal society, not tainted by exploitation, marginalization, and domination. Feminism was never satisfied with what was at its fingertips, but looking deep into and beyond human reality, nourished by the power of hope, it reached for the seemingly impossible. Feminists, as well as many other social movements, are one of the last guardians of utopian hope that the world could and should be different, better. Precisely feminist enclaves of hope can be found among the greatest critics of the capitalist system, seeing its perilous reach far beyond its purely financial and economic borders. This reach has been shown in full light precisely during the global economic crisis of the previous decade, raising questions about the purpose of maintaining the existing system, as well as the purpose of living life under its conditions. Feminists were among first to offer a comprehensive critique of the existing catastrophe manifested in multiple social crises. They were also among first to propose new and old strategies of resistance grounded in solidarity, subversion, grassroots activism, self-organization, etc. Again, they were among first to offer hope, showing that it had not died, that utopian capacity had not dried up. 
Thank you for listening this short podcast on the nature of hope and the contemporary state of utopian thought. As I have endeavored to show, their destinies are intertwined, gaining in importance in the context of combating the injustices of the modern world. Like all significant stories, this one is also impossible to cover within the boundaries of a single podcast, which is why be sure to check out the materials and links on the page of the project Ideas. Please stay tuned because in the next episode of the Lessons from the Feminist Political Economy, Karolina Leakovic will talk about imagining a feminist workplace, transformative potential of trade unions. For the very end, I leave you with a quote of Ursula Le Guin from her book, Dancing at the Edge of the World, Thoughts on Words, Women, Places. Le Guin, writing with a utopian twist, said, I am offered the Grand Inquisitor's choice. Will you choose freedom without happiness or happiness without freedom? The only answer one can make, I think, is no.